I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Sean Fowle. And we love to watch. We love to watch. We'd like to interview you for the Hobo Times. Hey, Sean. Hi. Hello. Yeah, I guess 2014, they're still like, yeah, we're going to use Hobo. <laughs> well, and the story takes place in the mid-90s, so it's even more... Then it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's still... Then it, like... it was fine in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a term yeah. of endearment. Although, I guess, you know, in, uh, in depiction doesn't equal endorsement, no one liked that guy. And by no one, I mean Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess it was fine. Uh, but yeah, we're, uh, we're We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we are joined by first time guest, Sean Fowle, who's also our first person who used, uh, one of our, uh, Patreon spots. Uh, which is amazing to uh, to pick an episode, come and guest on, and uh, he picked today's movie, which is 2014's uh, Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon. Uh, as we learned uh, earlier this month, Peter and I were convinced this movie came out in 2018, and realized how old and how quickly time was moving when we saw it's 2014. Uh, but he picked this episode, and we liked the theme so much. The idea of you know it's September. Uh, people are going back to school, which, uh, some people are going back into the office, uh, as, as we've gone into a little more of a, uh, less remote work setting for so many people in this country, uh, that a lot of people probably are feeling like they want to get away from it all. And so that is why we chose the theme, uh, gotta get away from it. And, uh, so Sean, thank you so much for uh, helping us pick the theme for picking this episode of a movie that I really liked uh, that I'd never seen before. And uh, thank you for being a, a Patreon supporter of our show. Oh, well, thanks. I, I, I'm glad you guys were able to, to have me on. And well, I'm glad right now to hear that you, you enjoyed the film. Oh so, yeah. That's <laughs> it was good. Really, it was really good. That's good. Um, it's good. To, it's good to get it out really early. Uh, when someone has literally sponsored the episode, that you're you're going to be talking positively about it. What's the thing? It's like even if you weren't even if you weren't talking positively, it was just like, okay, did they hate it? This is actually kind of like a classic example of something we talk about every year, which is that like the awards garnering Oscar crowd, uh, you know, uh, big prestige movies just crowd each other out so much. And it's been true of that every year. And sometimes if, uh, you know, you don't catch the movies before the Oscars and then you don't catch them immediately after, they can kind of just disappear uh, a little bit into the background. And I think really great movies just disappear into the background um, because they didn't win Best Picture or they didn't win, you know, like uh, Best Actor. Or they, they didn't win any of the like the, the, the four or five Oscars that people actually care about. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to jump back. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. It's, it's a fun it's a fun uh, thing to actually get a chance to be like, oh, wait, I missed something cool. Even when we're doing like our best of, uh, you know, year end shows, which come a year later, we still have these catch up lists. And then, you know, if the, the 30 that we don't get to, 
to, even in like a year later catch up, a lot of times just end up sit there. And that's kind of, I think, where Wild was at for me. So I was extremely uh, excited to get a chance to watch it. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed it. Excited to talk about it. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Sean, this is your first time on the show. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little more to our audience? Uh, okay. Uh, well, my name's Sean Fowle. I guess I've been listening to this podcast for uh, about two years, maybe a bit more. So, you know, the standard long-time listener, first-time guest <laughs> yeah. kind of situation uh, for a bit of a kind of a movie idea in terms of, like, what I like. I mean, lots of horror stuff. Well, <laughs> I watch a lot of horror. I might not like a lot of horror. Um <laughs> We know what yeah, that yeah. feels like. Yeah, exactly. Some of my, like, you know, favorite films are more so I like a lot of sad stuff. I think it might have been my wife who first said it or, or maybe not. It was just like, I, I like sad bastard movies. That's <laughs> generally my my shtick is, uh, yeah, if I if I end a movie in tears, uh, it's probably going to be up there on my, <laughs> on my favorites. It's like I like, you know, Where the Wild Things Are is one of my... One of my favorite films, uh, Dancer in the Dark, kind of stuff like that, uh, Colossal Prisoners, oh, yeah. and uh, this film, Wild. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So, um, you know, I I'd see I've seen most of the other movies, uh, and I know I think a couple of those were on the list that you kind of the short list that you sent us. Um, and part of the reason we were excited about doing this one is because you know, to Peter's point, this is a movie that I you know got Reese Witherspoon some you know some acting buzz, Laura Dern some well deserved acting buzz as well for like award season. But like in the in the way that say Where the Wild Things Are, Dancer in the Dark, or Colossal, or some of these other movies. That you feel like uh, prisoners, even too, uh, that still kind of get brought up and mentioned in, in film circles and stuff like that. I think part of the reason that I thought that Wild had come out in 2018 originally is because, like, I'm I heard about it a lot in 2018 or, or sorry 2014 when it came out. I put it on my shortlist. I don't hear it mentioned all that often anymore. Um, so why why you know why was this specifically a movie that not only uh, clearly like you said is, is a movie that affects you in a certain way but also one that you wanted to come and talk on a on a podcast with us about? Well, I think like what you say is it just you don't hear about it like outside of maybe you know people who are really into to hiking or or that kind of a, a lifestyle you don't hear about this film very much kind of got forgotten about. Um, but I really love it. And, and even when I first watched it, I don't even know if it really connected with me too much, but it was kind of one of those things where it kept coming up in my, in my mind. And then when I watched the second time, that's when I truly fell in love with it. And now it's probably the film I've seen the most as an adult. Huh? Um, really? So I like, I've seen it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not as much as you guys have watched some stuff, but I've seen this film probably about <laughs> 15, 15 times, which isn't bad for something that came out in 2014. No. Uh, it's just, yeah, this is... That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is like my my comfort film. My just... Whenever I just feel like I need to... I don't know. feel feel Either feel happy or feel sad. It kind of does both. Uh, yeah. It's the the movie that I put on. Uh, yeah, it just, it doesn't get talked about enough. It didn't get enough recognition 
and it still doesn't. It's kind of forgotten about. Um, but it's, I think, what it does is just, it's just great. Um, I mean, just the bare bones of it seems very melodramatic and almost flat. Like it could be something flat as as a a movie adaptation of a memoir uh, of this woman's journey. There's been countless films about that. There's been countless books like that. But this film particularly, just the way that that the cinematography is used, the, the music's used, the, the sound, the lighting, everything. I think it, it's really uses the medium of film, uh, perfectly to kind of capture just this mood. And that is what speaks to me the most. And I think more people should see it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think you're, you're getting at something there too. And maybe that is why it's, I'm, you know, I'm really glad we have a chance to talk about it on the show because, you know, on paper, right. It's, um, so this um, this this movie came out in 2014. It's based on a book that came out in 2012 by Cheryl Strayed, who Reese Witherspoon plays in the movie. That a memoir that uh, uh, about a uh, time in her life that occurred in uh, in 1995 ish. And it was an immediately like popular book because it ended up on Oprah's book club, and uh, and you know shot to the top of the charts. Movie rights were bought almost immediately and stuff like that. And you know I read a review that was saying like on paper all of this stuff is are things that we've seen before, right? It's a it's a a popular book based on an empowerment memoir of someone who suffered a tragedy and has to figure out how to how to overcome that and like so on pay- and you know it's telling the t- two stories at once it's telling the story of her her journey to you know uh to self-improvement along with kind of that um uh telling the story of how she got there in the in the first place and i think you're right that is not necessarily something that we haven't seen a lot of incarnations of what we haven't seen i don't think as well as one that uh you know looks this good that is anchored by two extremely strong performances and is one that like tells its story with an element of like uh, nuance and compassion and i think i think you have it right like that those those things on paper uh, seem maybe like an Oscar bait movie, and so people go, uh, it, it gets ignored. I also think, not to jump too far ahead, I also think some of it was overshadowed by, you know, the director of this movie, along with the two stars, um, Jean-Marc Vallée, who had done uh, t- uh, Dallas Buyers Club the year before, but those three, Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, uh, and the director went on to make Big Little Lies, which did kind of become this big hit that kind of, I think, sucked up a lot of the uh, Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern conversation. And I, I like Big Little Lies quite a bit, actually, but um, I think that's probably also a little bit where that came from. Yeah. And to, like, jump back to to something Sean was saying, like, I also like movies that are kind of about, like, you know, these sad bastards, but, like... Um, as the name implies, Sad Bastards movies are usually about um, sad men. We usually don't allot a lot of space for women to uh, have these movies about uh, being, um, you know, broken and damaged and just emotionally working through their issues that aren't on, like, say, the Lifetime Network. Um, usually... Uh, the, the movies like this are focused on a very male 
uh, view towards uh, male view towards uh, healing and um, there's a movie I don't know when we should talk about this but there's a movie with a very similar title that I don't think Aaron and I are very big fans of that I think steps into all of the bear traps and eats all the poison berries that this movie refuses to eat um, and it's uh, Into the Wild I think Into the Wild has a very um, a very pretentious and egotistical approach to healing. And this movie, the, the reason I really enjoy it is because it's not pretentious. It's not egotistical. It's not spending time. Uh, it's not spending time uh, uh, deifying uh, Cheryl, which is what I love. And it's also not spending time being like, oh, man, I'm just so fucked up. I'm going to take you on a fun cavalcade of all the fucked up shit I've done. It's like it's it is deeply traumatic. And the way they treat that subject material, I think, is like very fascinating in terms of like she's processing it as she's walking. So like that's that's like also a, a means for the movie to build pacing around. So like, I, I don't know, like uh, this, this movie just like grandly improved on kind of everything I didn't like about Into the Wild, which is a movie we're not covering this month. Yeah, because it's not very good. Like, <laughs> I just thought we could talk about Into the Wild and, and talk around Into the Wild <laughs> and, and and not actually, like, cover it, you know? I haven't read the book. I, I specifically do not like the movie, but I would be, because John Krakauer is a very good author, I wouldn't be surprised if the book is maybe a little more subtle. <laughs> I don't know. Um, have you read? Have either of you read the book? I read the book a long, long time ago, um, and one of the things that he does in that book, as well as Into Thin Air, um, similar title, is he also makes it sort of like partially a biography of like all the weird shit he did growing up um, and all the reckless shit he did, um, which I think uh, placing in that sort of context is, is a little different than Sean Penn being like, isn't it so great that this guy just got away? I think part of the way it avoids it is like a structure that can work or not work, but it, it does avoid Into the Wilds telling like a straight narrative from like A to B for the most part, at least as far as I remember. I, I guess I haven't seen it since 2007, which for those keeping track on calendars is even longer ago than 2014. <laughs> which, um, but I uh, like I remember it feeling like because you're kind of living with the character as he's like getting mad at his parents and going through all that stuff and like one of the things that i think this wisely this movie does to avoid all that um is it it, it like places a lot of those moments that put the character in situations that like she would grow to regret or i mean not regret she makes a big point she makes a point of that so i but to uh, look back on with some semblance of uh, trauma or sadness or melancholy or whatever it is, it's like placed within the memory of someone in the present who is looking back on those moments. And so I think that that gives the viewer a, a, a level of space that like you don't necessarily need to identify with Cheryl when she's, uh, you know, cheating on her husband in a, in a heroin shack in Portland because Cheryl is looking back on those things through the prism of recognizing how that's potentially affected her lives in ways that have led her to this moment. Yeah, well, the, the one thing I really like about it is that one, it doesn't romanticize obviously it doesn't romanticize her destructive uh phase 
where she's kind of going through all those situations, um, you know, dealing with her, her grief and all that. But it also, I don't think, I mean, it does in the visuals, but it doesn't romanticize the trail or the getting away. It, it shows it as something that was the right thing for her, but the movie isn't necessarily telling you, this is what you need to do. In order for you to deal with all of your problems, you need to go out on the trail. You need to you need to yeah. unplug. You need to you you need to walk a thousand miles to make sure you're the person that you're supposed to be. Which maybe Into the Wild does a little bit, but this film. Does yeah, not. I think that's a good point because Into the Wild is sort of saying, at least my message from it is like society is bullshit, like in general, um, and I think. And obviously, this movie this movie is so different than the other movies we ultimately ended up covering, even though they do have that sense of like, uh, you know, scenically, there, there's a lot of similarities because uh, a lot of them take place in like, um, you know, the mountains in the Pacific Northwest or in the Rockies or stuff like that. And uh, but but it, but those three movies are really about like various levels of people rejecting society and this movie is more about um cheryl needing space from society to figure out who she is as a person it's more of an indictment of herself in that moment than of like a culture as a whole and i think when when that story and now that story i described when it's told well it can be really good i think you know mosquito coast is really good i think grizzly man is is really good i think all the other movies we discussed um is really good but like when it's when it when it comes across poorly you end up with an into the wild that just seems for lack of a better word preachy in a way that comes off as insincere yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, there's the, it's very much about <laughs> it's it's kind of this movie is very a very nice contrast, I think, to the other movies in this um, month where um, the the Jeremiah Johnson uh, as well as Mosquito Coast are very much about like I'm going to go out and I'm going to prove myself as a man by conquering this this land which is uh has its its own manifest destiny and and, and sort of colonialist uh, theming going on uh instead um and it's sort of like inverse of that uh this movie is taken on in a more of like a, a like a, a gentler approach i would say which is like i'm going to go out in nature and see what's out there and see if it can heal me at first and then later see what this experience has to offer me it's 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 a much gentler approach to and not toxic <laughs> approach to um contending with with these things that are so much bigger than her she has a sense of humility about it um at first because she thinks she's a piece of shit and she's just like oh i can't do this this is just so so hard but by the end her sense of humility has grown because like she's been forced into a sense of humility by the land um whereas i i don't necessarily think uh the other protagonists of this, of this month uh reach so it, it's and not just by being a modern story but also by being like a a feminine one by being a a, a less colonialist one uh it can uh get, gain some power 
it's produced by a company um, named Pacific Standard, which is Reese Witherspoon's like development pod. They used to call them pods when she kicked this off, um, which made Wild and Gone Girl, a couple of movies called Hot Pursuit. Also that um, Lucy in the Sky movie by Noah Hawley. They produced Big Little Lies, um, The Morning Show. Um, so some projects involving Reese Witherspoon, some not. Essentially, Pacific Standard became uh, Hello Sunshine at some point. She sold um, Pacific Standard or uh, Hello Sunshine for $900 million recently, um, but is staying on as, um, I think, on the, the, the board or as like one of the lead producers there. It's just that now her projects will be uh, taken on under the arm of uh, another company, which is um, because this is something that like was, was Reese Witherspoon's and her production team's baby. Um, this is something that they worked on together to make it not fall apart. Like so many, so many actors production pods that sometimes can just be this vanity project to let them play producer for a little bit before they, they move on. Um, not everybody gets to be a Brad Pitt or a Leo or whoever who gets to, you know, just kind of throw their money at what projects they like. I'm kind of surprised to learn that her that group was producing the morning show. I I really like the morning show, but that show does not do Reese Witherspoon any favors. Um, <laughs> they make her do a terrible Southern accent and give her all the worst lines while she gets overshadowed by everyone else in the cast, which is too bad because like I really like Reese Witherspoon, but I don't know what's going on on that show. Maybe so. it's a it's a flip that uh, nobody's going to say no to the boss and also the boss and also the boss and that all those people are Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> Look, I've had quite the run lately. If you could give me all the bad lines, <laughs> um, I think that'll give – you know, Jennifer Aniston needs a comeback. Give her all the good stuff. It It is good to show humility when you're the boss. You know? Agreed. Yeah. Share the spotlight by taking on a not great role. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon is like a modern day Jesus. <laughs> Uh, better than Jesus. I don't think Jesus ever made $900 million, Aaron. <laughs> nope, not at the box office. They, not the domestic U.S. and Canada box office. Well, you know, inflation is a thing, so. Oh, oh yeah. Damn it, yeah. Sean. <sighs> That's what we get for having a facts and figures guy on this. <laughs> <laughs> My inflation calculator won't go back that far. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, one other thing I want to talk about before we get in the movie uh, proper is um, uh, I think, uh, oh, is that uh, I was extremely, uh, when I saw the credits flash over, I was extremely excited and I totally forgot about this. I'm sure I knew at some point that this is a Nick Hornby written by movie. Oh, yeah. That's pretty interesting because I think adap- I think adapting a memoir is remarkably hard um, because memoirs can be just kind of like very episodic and they can be rather um, they can be rather focused for you know a chapter on just one weird event and then they can jump ahead and you're like well yeah I guess that's how life works sometimes stuff doesn't happen for a very long time whereas in a in a, a narrative you'd be like. Uh, can this flow a little bit smoother? This this movie flows so nicely and finds ways of, of um, using her internal dialogue and her internal trauma to like push us, propel us forward um, yeah. without doing a lot of like timey wimey tricks. Uh, it opens with um, 
with uh, Cheryl uh, throwing, uh, you know, she loses one of her boots and then she throws the other one and she yells, fuck you, bitch, uh, at her boot, presumably. Um, at the time, we think it's her, she's just mad at her boots. Um, and uh, that's, like, kind of the only narrative trick that he uses to, like, jump around time um, other than the, like, the flashbacks. I think it's, like, really clever how smoothly this flows. Memoirs well, can it's be really not narrative, at all, not cinematic at all. So, and it's also like I know that Nick Hornby, obviously, he you know he wrote uh, books that um, became very popular movies um, like High Fidelity or Fever Pitch or About a Boy, um, and books that are obviously popular in their own right as well. But like you know, his kind of like bread and butter books, all the ones I just mentioned, are about like you know immature man children who are trying to like reckon with becoming adults like all three of those are fair that like one one was about a guy who's obsessed with music uh one's about a guy who's obsessed with himself i guess like you could make the case that all of them were there and one's about a guy who's obsessed with soccer and um uh, so i mean like that was kind of his like you know claim to fame as a, as an author uh as about like these characters who are going through growth and so it's interesting that like this was only a second movie uh, not of his own work that he uh uh, adapted and wrote the screenplay for after an education, which I've not seen, but I've heard really good things about. Good movie. And then Peter, I totally forgot about this. Do you know what he, the only other movie besides wild that he wrote the screenplay for? It's a movie I love. It came out the next year. I totally fucking forgot that he Brooklyn. Oh, I guess the, that makes sense. Well, it's just, it's, it's somewhat surprising though. Cause it's his, like his, I think, you know, I, I think, an education is a pretty uh, Carrie Mulligan's the the main lead, right? Like, and it's kind of her story, from what I understand. Uh, yeah, it's 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 her movie. So, like, it's interesting that like this this um this author that was so known for specifically like immature men stories has essentially gone on to write three movies about like uh with with women as the protagonists. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's brilliant. Also, like that's everything that I like about. Brooklyn is that it's uh, it's re- it's utter refusal to be confined by being a genre piece. Um, yeah, because so many genre. I've talked about this before, particularly like with how much I love um, uh, Little Women, but uh, so many uh, genre or sorry, so many period movies can be so staid and just feel like you're watching people reenact a painting. Um, and Brooklyn's like, no, people were alive and vibrant and fell in love and got mad and got frustrated and, and couldn't decide what to do about all this stuff. Like people had feelings back then. It's not that we just magically got neurotic and it's 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. They hated the Irish then. They hate them now. <laughs> vibrant yeah i think aaron you and i as as people of irish descent have just learned to hate ourselves oh is that it's self-loathing that's that new state of mind that's the the new immigrant experience uh so the one thing uh, peter and i have not obviously not read this book sean have you read the the book that this is based on i have I, i actually read the book after seeing the film uh and i can say it's definitely about as close of an adaptation as you can make in terms of, in terms of the tone, just because I I mean, I read a lot of memoirs. That's kind of pretty much all I read. Uh, And wild is very much so on the page and on the screen. It's 
her going on her journey, her getting reminded of something in her past, and then being introspective about that, and kind of jumping back and forth all over the place, and then reflecting on it. So, oh, interesting. As, that was that was my big question about whether it it kind of told it as a straight narrative or whether it uh, it kind of had that uh, you know uh, parallel narrative working together through the book as well. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much. I wouldn't say it's like shot for shot in the sense of from the book to the screen, but it it, it carries that tone of of that just idea that that kind of mood where it's her her reflecting as she is going about and you kind of learn stuff along the way and she might kind of touch on one thing but you don't get the entire picture of it until you know many chapters later and then you kind of get you you then get the the bigger picture of oh okay so i see how that relates to this or why this situation reminded you of that moment from your past so it's very, it's very much um, kind of the same, the same story in terms of the pacing, in terms of of the tone, in terms of the voice. Huh, that that is uh, interesting, and I guess you know, in a lot of ways, it makes sense because one thing I really appreciate about the movie is it is really grounded, right? Like the 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 scary stuff that happens to her feels really realistic and down to earth the exciting things that happen to her or the you know fun things that happen to her like the, it do, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of like um exaggeration that occurs in in the movie like there's not a point where she has to like fight off a bear or something <laughs> something like that but like it does feel like her her trials and tribulations feel really down to earth so i guess it's 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 in some ways not too surprising to hear that it's taking pretty directly from uh from the real life story i i think before we kind of move into the episode proper what is your level of experience uh in the out of doors oh yeah uh, are you guys hikers are you guys campers do you get into backpacking specifically like uh for me personally i read a lot about hiking i listen to a lot of podcasts about Hiking, uh, just the outdoors, especially the uh, the long trails, kind of like what what Cheryl does in the film. Uh, as in terms of me doing that stuff myself, a little less so. <laughs> uh, it's definitely kind of, I guess I would say, bucket list um, interests of mine is to hike the big trails, whether it's the stuff in the states, such as the PCT or the AT, or even you know, going across to, to Europe and hiking stuff like the Camino. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in that stuff. I don't really do a lot of it. I mean, I go on, I go on walks or hikes, small ones, like, you know, almost every day. And by small, I mean like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but I, I definitely want to try and do something soon where I go on kind of a, you know, a week where I'm just kind of out there, you know, just out in the in the wild. It is the time for it. Like uh, I was gonna say, is uh, I think a lot of people are getting appreciation for in the states. A lot of people are getting appreciation for our national parks and national forests and and stuff a little bit more, um, and actually taking advantage of them as a resource. Uh, to the to the sometimes to the chagrin of the park rangers who are not getting pay raises and not being paid <laughs> to deal with these many people. Um, yeah. But uh, it is nice to see people excited in in those again. Um, and I wasn't saying I've hiked in uh, Canada a decent bit, 
um, John doesn't say is because we I've done a couple trips to Alberta um, and uh, one to British Columbia um, just as like a, you know my friends and I would go we'd we'd hike somewhere uh, and then we'd go get dinner and get some beers and then get back on the road or you know and then we'd go hike somewhere and and uh, uh, we it, it is like a it's been a thing that I, I tried to do um, for a few years after I moved away from home was to book a a week or a part of a week uh, camping trip or hiking trip with uh, my friends from back home so that we could all go see some national park together. We could all go see um, some part of the part of the North America that we haven't seen together. Um, but, you know, COVID stopped a lot of that because we weren't traveling. But um, yeah, I, I hike a lot in San Diego because I think the inner the, the state interior has tons of awesome desert uh, hiking, as you see at the beginning part of this movie. Um with the, the, the near the Mexican border part of the PCT. Um, a lot of, a lot of amazing hiking out in sort of inland California. Um, and, uh, I have done, uh, I was gonna say that I've done a, a pretty good amount of camping, but largely car camping. Cause like every time that I do, like I, I, uh, every time that I try and set up backpacking trips or whatever, we end up doing it. We'll do it for like a night and then we'll kind of bail out. Cause they're just like, eh, it was nice sleeping on the ground for a night. But like, I want to go home. Like I have the, I have the, the, um, the, the sporting desire to car camp where I can set up, bring as much gear as I want and, you know, set up a really nice tent and be really comfortable on the ground um, and spend, you know, a few days out there. But uh, with ba- backpacking is something that's always, I've always like admired people that can actually be comfortable uh, backpacking for long periods of time. That's like what we did so much when growing up. Like uh, when I was a when I was a kid. So I lived in Montana for a little bit, um, and then even when I moved to North Dakota, which is not a good place to go hiking or camping um, because it's just flat nothing. <laughs> um, but we used to like take summer vacations and go to back to to Montana or Black Hills in South Dakota or like Banff in uh, in Canada. I love uh, so yeah, gorgeous. Um, and, uh, uh, and so like we, we constantly did like a lot of camping. Uh, I mean, but at some point with all the kids in my family, we had like, you know, a main tent and two side tents, uh, and, um, and yeah, so we, and we did backpacking a couple times as well, which was uh, a lot of fun. My, I, I've done less so since I've, uh, I've been in a adult although i've done camping a few times with like my wife and friends and stuff like that over the years uh but my my kids are starting to get the age where they've really started to enjoy going on little like wooded trails around the 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 twin cities area which has some you know okay like trails by like a waterfall or something so we've been doing that actually a lot a lot this summer i will say in general my like my like of that kind of backpacking or hikes or camping really has to do with like the the scenery and, and Peter, it's actually interesting that you said like the beginning of this movie because my example was going to be like the beginning of this movie where she's just walking on flat cactus with the mountains in the background and just like as she walks, like everything looks the same and she walks, you know, 30 miles or whatever. That is the part to me that I would have quit almost immediately because everything <laughs> about that seemed like plodding and exactly like you're not even really hiking. You just have a backpack and you're out for a walk and on flat, 
flat stuff. Like the stuff that I've always enjoyed is what we see like in the later half of this movie where she's like walking through the mountains or on ever changing trails through forests and stuff like that. Like that's that's where I think like whatever the the bore the boredom of just walking for a long time to like enjoying a hike crosses for me. Like if I uh if I get to like hike through something um and like find little adventures through like find little like uh, treasures you know little things like oh here's a waterfall here's a stream here's an old bridge they built like here's a dead body i don't know whatever's exciting for you uh and uh, that's fun whatever you left your house for that day but like if i had to like Seriously, if I had to look and, – and I've been on these kind of hikes and I can tell you how much like it gets under my skin. But if I'm like, hey, look, there's a cactus, you know, half a mile in the – or a mile, two miles in the distance. And then I just slowly walk towards that for a couple hours. Like that's the kind of hiking that makes me want to go, fuck all this. I'm done. I really enjoy that sort of like flat desert camping. I think it's like really beautiful and like the type of beauty you're seeing is just is just different. Um, but also out in Southern California, we have a lot of like um, mountains and, and desert mountains and like uh, weirdly enough, like I, I was hiking on my birthday this year, it went and it snowed. Like it, it reached high enough altitude that we got like serious snow and hail. Like so there's like a great de- degree of diversity out there. But I do like the kind of like Mojave Desert style camping that or uh, camping and hiking that she does. I feel like it's, it's, it's ultimately important to get to the point of what hiking is, which is like. Yes, it, you get exercise. Yes, you're testing your, your, your physical limits a little bit, but like. You're not supposed to be out there blasting your Bluetooth speaker and, uh, you know, trying to and like trying to make as much noise as possible. You're ultimately out there to like grab some sort of peace and sort of recalibrate yourself in, in some capacity, whether that you're sp- you, whether or not you're working through some serious trauma or if you're just like, fuck, being in the office sucks. I hate this. <laughs> like, I, I, I would posit that uh, you can do that while. Also seeing ever-changing and interesting things. Uh, no, but I think you're kind of undermining how beautiful the desert is. Sure. I might be. <laughs> but I stand by it. Like, you know what? If there's dunes, if there could be some dunes, that, like you go over a dune. Sure, the, the next dune looks You're just hoping the same worms. I want dunes! And, and the characters from the book Dune. <laughs> Is that so much to ask? It's not. It's not. I mean, yes, it is. I either want to see a brook or Paul Atreides (laughs) every time (laughs) I walk. The simplicity of just putting one foot in front of the other and kind of getting away from everything else and just being, yeah, I guess inside of your own head. Not that you can't, like you said, not that you can't do that anywhere, but... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the desert kind of is a good place to start with that because it really forces you uh, to kind of look inward, at least initially. Yeah, I've had a lot of just beautiful sort of clarifying experiences being on like a solo hike in the desert or like, um, I guess this is more mountainous than I think what they picture in the movie. But like there's a 
large desert park out uh, out uh, east of here called uh, the Anza Borrego. Um, and I've solo camped there a few times uh, just to like, uh, actually, I kind of did it once between jobs because I was just like, I need an actual reset experience. I need to like go be away from my computer and... One time because you just lost your keys for a few days, right? Uh, yeah, it wasn't – I didn't intend to camp. Most people don't intend to sleep under their car, but, you know, <laughs> it was a beautiful – it was a beautiful time for me, my keys. On on the keychain with the by, the by the car one that you drove? Yeah, they were in my pocket. Yeah, um, great so. story. All of a sudden, there's not, there's not a whole lot of room to hide from you. Um, which is, is it can be very th- therapeutic if you're up for that experience, and also I think um, her like me, um, like if you're three or four miles from home, or three or four miles from your car, you have to walk those three or four miles back. If you, she's she's uh, has to make it, she doesn't have a car, you know, in a parking lot of three or four miles away. She has to make it to her next stop, right? Like it doesn't matter if you don't like sp- very spending very much. You really get out there and you don't you don't actually like spending that much time alone with yourself. Um, you have to do it um, after after a certain point. So yeah, uh, do you guys want to talk about wild? Wild. Not into the wild. Not wild thornberries. Definitely not wild, wild west. Wiki. Wiki. Wiki, wiki, wah, wah. Wiki, wild, wild, wild. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to talk about it, Peter. Let's. <laughs> yeah. When I roll into the. When I stroll into the. When I bounce into the. So Cheryl is dealing with a lot of trauma that we we don't quite know yet, um, and she has decided to take on the PCT, um, which goes from the, basically the Mexican border uh, through the Mojave Desert all the way north through California, through Oregon, through Washington to the Canadian border. I think it's like twenty five hundred miles, um, and it takes most people somewhere between. Most people don't finish it, but it takes people that have finished it somewhere between three and five months. Um, to complete. So it's a kind of a pure backpacking kind of endeavor. Um, and she has on a sort of on a whim determined to, uh, treat, she's, she's essentially going to hike herself back to the person that she, she wanted to be. Um, so she, uh, we don't really know exactly what's gone on, but we do know that she has, uh, has, a had a divorce because, um, she's cheated on her husband a bunch, um, and we know that she had some sort of drug problems and some sort of issues with her mother, um, which will sort of be revealed as the movie uh, goes on what happened with each each point of that. She's hiking, and she's doing different points along the path, uh, reassess, and meet people along the path. Things go wrong. She she meets strangers who are seem seem scary, uh, but uh, are actually very sweet, like uh, W. Earl Brown. And his wife um, are in it, uh, who at first he seems like he's like a rapist. And then he's just actually just a big, sweet, lovable guy. She also runs into hunters at different points who are not sweet, lovable guys who are very much like sexual creeps, make her feel uncomfortable. She meets lots of fellow hikers. Some of them go along the path with her for a little bit. Some of them drop off. Um, it's very much like a road movie. She meets people as we go, but a road movie with the memoir style where we get flashbacks and sort of reestablish 
what sort of pain she's going through that caused her to take on this journey. She doesn't have any real previous hiking experience. She doesn't have really a good sense of a lot of the strategies needed. She brings way too much equipment, not properly set up for even heating her food. So at one point, she uh, can't even get her food edible. So she uh, has to bail out to have somebody take her to get some food. Um, W. Earl Brown, playing a character named Frank, um, was a guy who's just like working some uh, farmland along alongside the trail. And yeah, so she kind of works her way forward. She's gradually, you know, the first day she does five miles, which is just like, you're never going to finish the trail at that rate, right? Um, and then eventually she's working her way up to 10 and 12 and, and she's kind of taking on a, a bigger clip and she's starting to feel more of this this liberation, but she still has a lot of healing left to do. She still has a lot of sort of internal soul searching left to do. Oh, the guy that's cleaning himself nude in the stream, he gives her some really good advice and then he meets up with her later and then points her in the direction of another guy who's just like, you need to get rid of so much of your pack. Like she keeps <laughs> yeah. meeting people along the trail who, who are helping her. Um, oh, and then the, the, the like teens or whatever. The young bucks. Right? Yes. And, and the horse. Yes. Um, she runs into um, some young teens who are just kind of, you know, Dumb, but um, they're they share some Jack Daniels with her and and uh, an evening and hang out. Uh, and Jimmy Jimmy Carter and the, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Jimmy Carter was the was the name of the 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 hobo magazine, yes. guy, right? Yes, yes. The aforementioned intro hobo times. Yeah, sorry, I said hobo magazine when clearly that's a daily. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Can you imagine even in the 90s if you just went around and be like, hey, why don't you have a house? If you, an- if you answer my questions three, I'll give you a plastic bag full of garbage. <laughs> not a good look, Jimmy Carter. It's not garbage. It's popcorn yeah. and a beer. <laughs> I, think, I think it's funny to give one beer. Like, give a six pack, a four pack, get some something in there. Yeah. Here's a loose beer. <laughs> it's also just like it's like uh, a lot for her to carry. Like beer is heavy. Like it's not a good bag. It's not a good backpacking uh, backpacking booze. That's why even yeah. even those um, those young kids have two bottles of Jack Daniels shipped to them because liquor is lightweight. Um, yeah, but yeah, compared to beer she we eventually find out that uh her mother was an incredibly loving sweet person her father was an alcoholic an abusive alcoholic and he chased her out of the he chased uh, them out of the house until the point that they they left in and in and um uh, you know, didn't return her and her brother. Those two were given a very good childhood with uh, with with uh, Laura Dern's character of the mom, and she is uh, just a very inspiring person. Who is, is when she eventually gets she get a brain tumor. It's it's lung cancer. She gets like a like a tumor, like kind of on her on her lung slash near the spinal cord. You know, that's actually something I I, I feel like it's a good thing to stop here. Is like. One of the things I love about this movie and how it talks about the trauma is we'll get like little flashes of what happened. And those flashes like kind of perfectly in a very cinematic, nonverbal way communicate why that's a piece of trauma. But they don't like spend 10 minutes talking about the specifics of her cancer. And they don't spend... 10 minutes talking about every single um, man that she slept with and she had her sex addiction. Um, they don't talk about that. Like they don't talk about stuff in this sort of like grotesque specific detail that like 
Um, I don't hate Itania, but like Itania is like weirdly obsessed with detailing every single moment of abuse. Um, and like every single punch she took from her partner or abusive partner. And like, I really like that this movie is like treats these impactful pieces of trauma as impactful pieces of trauma and like just flashes of them is enough to is enough to yes obviously trigger trigger cheryl but also it lets us know like oh she's not just hiking because she likes hiking (laughs) she's hiking because her life has is up to up to now been a bit of a mess um well and also um you will i'm sure we'll talk more about it after we get get through with the plot but worth noting too like it also shows not just the the traumatic moments the tr- why the trauma matters from all the warm moments that like come in these little like spurts it really is like you know i'm sure both all of us have been in a in a point in our life where all of a sudden like you just kind of have these flashes of these moments and sometimes like they start with these nice flashes of like uh, maybe a family member or a friend or a, a previous significant other or something and then you know sometimes as you have those flashes as you're like doing something or driving somewhere or whatever else it is then you're like oh yeah and part of the reason like thinking about that that moment is melancholy is because uh of what happened here or a sad moment you just you you know you're not remembering those moments or the relationships in like a narrative sense right like you just kind of get flashes of these things that are impactful and you know you're gonna have more of those when you're essentially alone with your thoughts for you know, 2,500 miles, but I really love the way they show kind of the flashes of her with her, her now ex-husband and flashes of her with her brother. And like, I like that the, the flash that they start with essentially with Laura Dern is like when she's trying to go back to college in her forties and she's at the same college as Cheryl and like the little moment that they exchange at school and then kind of, you know, Cheryl feeling bad that that wasn't more of a like, hey, come hang out with me and and stuff like that. And, you know, and I I think the way it's depicted there is just so true to life. Yeah, I feel like that's that's actually like uh, (laughs) the, the secret sauce of this movie is that it's willing to make those moments, um, these sort of invasive thoughts as opposed to this drawn out melodrama like Sean highlighted like this movie doesn't have that sort of melodramatic lifetime movie quality. Um, it has a very relatable thing. Cause like I, I'm somebody that's like very like caught up in guilt and regret. And like, I, I very much have to push through that a lot. Um, and like, I very much get that thing where you're like, Oh, time to go to sleep. Here's a film reel of all of your mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not getting like a full, uh, episode of everything that's surrounding that context is just me saying something very stupid me yeah. doing something very stupid and regrettable and like it's that's uh it is very relatable but essentially she she uh keeps continuing on her journey we find out that her she had a sex addiction and also a heroin addiction addiction that were sort of intertwined in that she was just looking for escapes um, and one of the things I like about this movie is that it, it doesn't fetishize sex addiction uh, the way uh, so, so many movies do. And it also doesn't fetishize heroin addiction, which also a lot, a lot of movies do. Um, it also doesn't. Well, over- I mean, sometimes it is just nice to go to town even for a day, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even, for, even for an hour. Yeah. 
these sort of like vices that she has that she sees as, as her downfall and you know took her marriage from her and you know robbed her of some relationships she sees that at her, and her self-worth she sees all those as kind of intertwined as her trying to escape from who she is um, and she thinks this walk can be sort of a purifying sobering experience um, and a, a, as she goes along another sort of thing that I don't know if we'll return to is she's writing in these little uh, visitor books that are common on a lot of hiking trails where you can just leave a little note um, and, and for the next people that come along Emily Dickinson and Marie Curie and, and you know various uh, actually I don't think Marie Curie wrote hers it was it was a poet who wrote a poem about Marie Curie yeah it's um, about her dying I don't think she was like <laughs> reaching up from the grave <laughs> she was like isn't it ironic that I, that I was de- what's the quote she was denying the same wounds that gave her power yeah uh, or some it's yeah it's a terrible butchering I don't know it off the top of my head either but something about like the same thing that gave her power resulted in her death or something yeah um, but there's these quotes, these sort of inspirational quotes that uh, when I say that sounds very cringy, but it's actually like very touching because it's she's uh, looking to cliches or she's looking to, um, you know, various stories she's heard for how she's going to fix her life. Right. Like she didn't really attach to therapy that well. She's looking for some other means of, of finding out and where she looks. She looks to those books that that were such a comfort to her and that she could share with her mother. And uh, she, she looks to, you know, like or even the books that she didn't like. But then her mom loved like the James Mishner stuff. Um and uh, the idea of just picking up every, dropping everything and just going on a, a hiking trail for a few months, I don't know, three or four months, um, that's very, that's very much like a cliche or a, uh, you know, a story that we tell ourselves that we're, we're just going to drop everything and go back to nature. Um, and these, these sort of quotes help highlight her journey and, and how she's feeling about it as she goes along, because like, there's, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of access to, to, to ways of healing. Therapy is expensive. A lot of society is just based on bottling our pain or finding vices to bury our pain. Um, and so she's like looking to like, uh, you know, the Joni Mitchell and, and Emily Dickinson and other like, you know, women authors as well as some men like James Mishner to, to get her inspiration. Um, and she, you know, she gets lost. She has misadventure. She drinks all of her water and then the water tank is empty and she needs to she needs to use her water pump that she's never used before. Um, she needs to figure out how to get her heat source back. Her boots are too tight. Like it's sort of um, as a road movie. It's sort of just a series of misadventures and, and adventures uh, until she finally reaches up north. She runs into she has a, a few good interactions with men. Um and um, she's starting to re-grasp her, her sort of um, ability to have long-lasting relationships. And as she reaches the end of her trail, she's on a bridge and remarks that – I think she's outside Portland maybe. Um, and she sort of uh, remarks that, um, you know, jumping ahead – like in her life, like she eventually remarries and she has, I think, two or three kids. Like she does gain control of her life. Like we don't need to see her take her very last step on the PCT trail because it was never really about the PCT trail. It was about her um, breaking old habits and, and finding herself. Yeah, I I wish you would have like blown into a bottle on that bridge, Peter, but you know, <laughs> that may be a 
very specific reference that we'll cut out because unless you've seen the empty man you don't get that joke and that, that a lot of people haven't seen that movie um uh, the I think the most important I think great recap Peter I think the most important thing I want to talk about is is my biggest shame watching the movie um, there's a part where she's getting a tattoo with her soon to be ex-husband they're getting a tattoo as like a we're always going to remain in each other's life even though like the trust and the re- is gone from our marriage and uh, the guy giving the tattoo appeared on screen and I immediately was like oh it's the lead singer of Everclear and then I found myself just kind of sinking into a deep, dark shame that I could recognize the lead singer of Everclear by sight. Um, and then uh, that's why I'm planning my own hike to get over that particular trauma of recognizing <laughs> yeah, might, yeah. that. Not, I think I know. I think I know his name. His name is Art Elect. Why do I know yeah. that, that? Why do I know all that information? You're I'm, on a bad. You road. might have to walk more than a thousand miles to get over that one. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to do some yeah, loop de loops yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah that was that was a shame um i'm hopeful did you guys experience that specific moment or no i did not i did not uh aaron that might be a generational thing a generational difference <sighs> is that i i know some of these bands but i don't know their faces the way that you might you know watching your music television programs and such guys music television was huge let me let me give a detailed history. Uh, yeah, uh, but beyond that moment, I so one thing I found that uh, to actually use that as a jumping point, something I want to talk about. I really thought the relationship with her and her ex husband was 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 well depicted and sweet throughout this movie. Like in a in a movie where either of them can seem like uh, could potentially seem like villains, and I and I get that we're watching a depiction of uh, Cheryl's real life, but I also can see like. You know, and I like a mem like a, a a dissolved relationship or marriage, um, like that, and that you write about in a memoir sometimes is the type of thing that either you're too hard on yourself, the person writing the memoir, or potentially like you know harder on the relationship. And I really love the way it's depicted throughout this this movie as like um some some level of trust has been broken resulting in the marriage to not be able to continue on the same path that it was but the like the love and the support for each other it isn't like the you know he's the one who's sending her all these encouraging notes and packages throughout this journey and like i really liked that i think my favorite thing about this movie is uh i've sort of talked about this a little bit is it captures that weird stream of consciousness that you get when you're alone and you haven't been alone for a long time um and like i do a lot in my life to never be alone and without any something to occupy my brain i abuse podcasts uh as as a way of not thinking um when i'm doing exercise or cleaning the house um i do just i do a lot of it because sometimes i'm just like i'm not in the mood for any sort of internal interrogation right now i'm literally doing dishes and be really great if i could just have my stupid brain shut the fuck up for like 20 minutes um but uh our heads are so clouded all the time and not to be like uh not to sound like a like a boomer or something but like our heads are so clouded like we are always on our phones we always have like this form of stimulation in our hands it's like perfectly customized to all of our interests um and like that's not 
always good. <laughs> Very often it's great because we get to stay connected to the people we love and we get to have like stay connected to the world and we get to have like <clears throat> if we are in, you know, shitty situations, we can kind of like redirect our attention because we can just turn to our phone. Um, but like and obviously the person uh, Cheryl at the time was not um, I don't know playing she, she, in 1995 she couldn't even be playing snake on her brick phone um i don't think um but the the point I did, it did take me a while to realize this was 1995 because i knew that she had written the book in 2012 so my first thought is like well you know she's so worried that she brought everything like you got your cell phone and then also like my my second thought as she started walking you know the boring part of the trip that we all agreed was boring um that i'm like why wouldn't you like throw in your earbuds or something and then i'm like oh but no way to charge your phone and then i realized it was 1995 and i'm like oh no way to bring that many batteries and got I, it i so yeah two two points there one um it would be incredibly funny it, the one of the markers they don't do a lot of it one of the markers is um music um uh, but the other, another one is, uh, there's a big Grateful Dead show and it's when Jerry Garcia died, which was in oh. mid nineties and 95. Um, and so like this, this movie doesn't like fetishize the mid nineties, the way some things do. Um, uh, it's not like constantly needle dropping or constantly like, you know, leaning into aesthetic, like uh, timely aesthetics. Um, so it, I could definitely see. Like, you getting pretty deep in this movie and being like, oh, this took place like 20 years earlier than I thought it did. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. But like, I kind of like that she doesn't have like a cell phone or earbuds or whatever, because like that helps. I think that I think like I've, I've made a conscious effort when I go hiking, particularly in the past couple of years to like not bring my headphones and to put my phone in my bag just as like an emergency thing. Yeah, they kind of bury just the, the era that it takes place in. But I think... Maybe that's a bit on purpose, just to kind of make the the journey or the movie itself kind of feel a little timeless. But like at the start of the film, when she's checking into the uh, the motel, there's like the OJ trial is on the TV in the background. But like I didn't I didn't notice that till maybe like the fifth time I watched the movie. So yeah, uh, yeah they really they really kind of hide that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and it, it doesn't ultimately matter. Like, the PCT still exists, right? Um, the the big one hasn't come, knock on wood, the big one hasn't come and um, ripped California in half yet uh, as a, a sinner, a sinner, a modern Sodom and Gomorrah, as the president in Escape from L.A. says. Um, the, the state has not been rendered um, torn in half by the San Andreas Fault. So it's still pretty relatable. You can still do the PCT. I imagine it's much more crowded now than it was in the mid-90s. Shoes are essentially the same. Backpacks exist. Clothes has not changed for people that hike in 50 years. I I think it all lines up pretty well. This movie has a bit of a um, hiking fetishization that I really enjoy. You know, it doesn't fetishize the sex or the heroin, but um, the hiking fetishization that I really enjoy. There's essentially, and I, I understand this is like a plot specific thing, so it doesn't count. There's like basically an REI commercial in the middle of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I really do appreciate that where he's just like, yeah, you can have your booth shipped to your next stop and they'll just arrive. And she's like, really? And then she's on the phone with REI and she's like, so it'll be there, right? And then it's just there and she's so excited about her new boots. It's like, yeah, they built an REI commercial into this movie for Danner Boots. She says something along the lines of, if you do that for me, you'll be my favorite company of all time. 
<laughs> and then she turns, she turns and winks at the camera, so it's great. <laughs> and yeah. she does say that though. <laughs> she does say, You're my favorite company ever. Oh, it's so fucking funny. Uh, yeah, those Danner, those Danner boots that the movie uh, fetishizes how cool they look. They st- the Danner is a is a like an Oregon uh, hiking company. They still sell those like brown boots with the red laces um they're very distinctive um but yeah that's like uh good for throwing too that's good for throwing good arc uh, yes um <laughs> uh, d- uh the one thing i also wanted to highlight there is that like the <clears throat> as she's traveling she's kind of brushes up against um you know as uh, thre- uh real or imagined threats of sexual violence um so at first she thinks frank is is trying to uh get her to sleep with him or uh, he's trying to assault her but in reality he's just this big big sweet guy he just doesn't quite know how to talk to people um and also w earl brown all, all, on uh, does horrific things on deadwood has a perfect face and personality combo where like he can be this big grizzly bear of a man who will cut your throat but also like it'll be like your best friend and confidant he has that sort of that sort of david harper kind of thing or ron perlman thing maybe i don't even know maybe not ron perlman ron perlman i just see as a sweet uncle he has that sort of that sort of look and feel like this guy could kill me and then she runs into two hikers later she helps them because they're out of water or sorry two hunters later she helps them they're out of water and they both in a situation where they know that she can't get away they both make like a lewd joke at her and then one of them basically like threatens to rape her um one of them plays i think he's like skinny pete on breaking bad i think um and uh that stuff like really highlights the privilege of a man like i've camped alone before i've hiked alone a lot and i like have never really feared for my safety except for the couple times i've run into rattlesnakes like that's kind of it yeah, and even when I was out in the middle of the desert near Salton Sea hiking alone, and I there were a bunch of, like, obviously, like, tweakers, like, guys doing donuts out in the desert in their truck, running, like, a ragged Trump flag from 2016, like, three years late. Like, I, I wasn't actually afraid for my life. I was just like, oh, I could probably talk my way out of whatever these guys want to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show and tons of people have talked about, like one of the, the successes of Get Out was, you know, spoilers for the end of Get Out. Um, it, at the at the end of the movie, when uh, when he, when the cop the cop shows up, you have a moment of panic. Like, um, I remember seeing it in a, with a full audience, and the whole audience gasped, like, "Oh shit." Like, this looks bad for our main character. And, like, you can make a, you know, Get Out does a lot of things really well. But one thing that it does extraordinarily well is it, like, it makes it, like, in my case, like, a predominantly white audience immediately recognize how scary it would be for a cop to show up in that situation. As opposed to most horror movies, which, you know, the cops arriving is a moment of safety and relief. Even if it's a fake out where, you know, the cop immediately gets murdered by Michael Myers or something. And I think one thing that this movie does an extremely good job of in that same vein is it immediately makes you, because you're so in Reese Witherspoon's 
or Cheryl's head, which makes sense because it's, you know, it's based on a memoir, memoir, and, um, and we're really kind of seeing everything through her, Cheryl's perspective, but it merely makes you like in that feeling of like when she first sees like, you know, uh, uh, that that guy in the in on the, on the plow and stuff like that, like you immediately recognize that she is in a precarious and potentially dangerous situation. Um, and while you feel relief when it ends up not to be the case, those other moments throughout the trail, like when you see the hunters, uh, you know, even as someone who uh, again is you know is 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 not a woman who is a a you know a a a, 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 a cis man, like it is. It is something where, like, I immediately am in a feeling of danger just having someone walk up to me where, to your point, Peter, at the point of privilege, but I wouldn't have felt potentially if um, if if it had been, like, me actually in that situation. I think the movie does a really good job of not uh, not underlining those threats. Like, it doesn't have to resort to, like, exploitative or, like – someone making a big showy thing of something like want to see my gun and like, Oh, I just was showing my friends my gun. We're like, it's all subtle moments. It's like, here's some candy and here's this stuff. And it, and it feels really threatening. And the way they're able to get the, uh, the, you know, the audience is able to be placed in that headspace is a real, um, is a real triumph of this movie. Well, the fact that, especially in that, in that scene, like just leading up to that, she doesn't have any water, and she's yeah. basically feeling like she's on the verge of of dying of thirst. And as scary as that is, the scene that follows that you find so much more unsettling. Oh, yeah. which is what's what's worse than maybe dying of thirst? Two men. He uses that language that's like has plausible deniability, right? Where he's like. He used that language where he's like, oh, I was just paying her a compliment. Can a guy pay a, a girl a compliment? But, like, you you know the tone and the context. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and he has a weapon. Um, like, and the things, the specific things he's saying, like, it's a threat. But, like, if anybody took a, a, a typewritten, you know, just a version of the conversation, it may not seem like a threat because it's it's that's the way that – a creeps work is that like they're not like i'm going to sexually assault you they're like i'm just going to make lewd comments to see how you react are you shocked are you shocked what's where what are we going to do next are you going to fight me back like that is the the trade of a creep it's the coded language that is just asserting power yeah 100 percent. and understanding that even even if you're not going to do anything around that that you are in a position to make someone feel safe or unsafe and you've made a choice to make sure they feel unsafe in the situation as a as a you know as some sort of version of like you know toxic masculinity gratification like hey i'm not gonna do anything necessarily obviously we don't know that's the case ultimately that that is what ends up happening here but I am still going to get some semblance of like ego feeding from recognize from making sure this person recognizes that I have some semblance of power over them. Yes, hundred percent. And I, I, I think that it's it's um, it's like part of her journey, and and the fact that that happens fairly late in the movie is somewhat telling because her reaction to that, um, 
is defined by all the self-growth she's done and how much trust she's put into people at this point and how she has uh, up till now been like rewarded for trusting people and people have been good to her. And the fact that, you know, finally one of these, these men that makes her uncomfortable, um, you know, finally one of them actually proves to be what her worst fears, uh, you know, are, uh, is, I, I think the placement in the movie is important um, because it's it's sort of the way that life works where like life does not allow you an easy sort of pathway forward. Um, life does not allow your, your journey to be without setbacks. There's always going to be a moment where it's like two steps forwards, one step back and like her trust in people. There's no need. There's no there's no reason why she needed to be reminded of this. There's no there's no cosmic, you know, uh, slap on the wrist, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a horrible, unfortunate part of being alive as a woman that like ends up becoming part of her story. Um, and thankfully, um, it's just a, it, it's just a bad run in as opposed to a, a whole new source of trauma for her that could really have, you know, it could really have, 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 have ruined her, right? Because she's on this journey to trust people and treat people with respect and treat herself with respect. Like, it's... It, yeah. Can we... Let's let's talk a little bit about the Laura Dern flies. Laura Dern is fantastic in this movie. She was so rightfully... Good. So good. Yeah. Rightfully nominated for a Supporting Actress Award. I mean, Laura Dern's rarely not good but it's great to that she got uh you know some accolades for for her performance here cuz it's it's very worthy of it um uh, i want to talk a little bit about her death because it is so gut wrenching in a couple different ways um one you know so much of like fiction around uh a terminal illness is really around this idea that people are able to fight through the time they're given. Like, I can't remember the last time I've seen a movie where someone is given, you know, five months and they only, they get less than five months. It's usually, you know, they make it seven months or nine months. And that's the stories you hear. And like, there is something so heartbreaking about, you know, Reese Witherspoon's like realization that she was given a year and she only, they only had a month with her. Like it just happened so quickly, which can very, you know, be the case with a lot of terminal illnesses, cancer, especially, even though I think most of our fiction around that is, is based on the opposite happening. And then two, that idea of like the son being so, and her, her brother being so traumatized that he's kind of waited that month to go see her in the hospital only to walk in and her eyes have already on ice because they're going to be donated. Like just some really harrowing, harrowing moments. Yeah. We're, you're expecting more, especially in a inspiring, you know, taking back life kind of movie. You're expecting more like a uh, deathbed inspiration, but she's, Left with the lessons that her mom gave her just while they she was alive and outside of the hospital more so. Do you get well? Here's one thing I couldn't quite parse, Sean. You probably can answer it for me. I was a little unclear why he killed the horse. Basically, it, it's diseased and they can't afford a vet. Okay, this is the problem with with watching the movie and having read the book is that it's hard to separate the two <laughs> yeah. of what what is stated in the film and what I just remember from from reading it 
but yeah, basically, like you see a shot of the horse and it has sores all over one side and they kind of, they say like, we can't afford to do this the right way. There was a moment where I'm like, is he so angry at his mom dying? And like, he was already a little bit in denial. I had it kind of in my head that maybe it was some weird, like, I need to like erase every part of connection because that's the only way that I can focus on like dealing with this trauma that occurred to me. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's dark. It's not that dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely took it to a dark place. There's a uh, part of like the the direction by Jean-Marc Vallée is, is, is in these early scenes, you get like little flashes of you get little flashes of, of trauma. And the shot that he elected for the shooting of the horse, I actually kind of wish he had done less revelation later um, because early on you're seeing a horse's eye that fills up most of the screen. And you just see there's no gunshot sound or anything. You just see uh, two people standing close and then a big flash. And like anybody that's paying attention could probably figure out that. Um, But that paired with a shot where it's immediately after a flashback shot of Laura Dern saying like, you know, take care of the horse, please. Like, I'm not saying I think she says like this horse helped me get through. Yeah. She's like, promise me that you'll take care of the horse. Yeah. This horse helped me get through a rough point in life and then immediately has that flash. And it's such a um, it's such a poignant moment. And I kind of wish that later on in the movie, they didn't have like a very violent scene of the brother shooting the horse uh, with like the full bang and everything. Um, and like you seeing the horse go down because like the, the shot of just like her saying that and then immediately cutting to the flash of the, the rifle. Um in, in the, the reflection of the horse's eye is just like, that's that's startling in a way that like direct violence can't be. And I'm assuming it's a digital shot because like how the fuck else do you accomplish something like that? Yeah, you're not Michael Cinemino or whatever. <laughs> you're not actually killing the horse. I was thinking maybe it was a big fake glass eye and they did a, a, a fired a blank. But, you know, I'm assuming it's just CGI and they just took a picture of a Took a, a, a took footage of a horse's eye. Well, there's just, there's just a lot of really great special effects in this film. You just don't really notice them because they're just so seamless. And that's that's just one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, and it's something that like is is super subtle and um and but it still has it's just so impactful because of its subtlety. Um, but yeah, and like the that you also see flashes of her having like uh, tawdry hotel room sex. And you know, you, you just know from the context that this isn't, isn't her having sex with her husband. You can't see any faces. You can't see, you can't even see her face. You That's know, how you know. It's, you know, it's like, her. yeah, like you're married. It's all faces when you're <laughs> having sex with your spouse. But if, if you're not having sex with your spouse, no faces. It's no all, faces. it's elbows, smalls of backs. That's how you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been married a little bit. And I know it's all about the faces. Uh, you did ask me about, like, what body part's the most important on your wedding night, Peter. And I'm like, faces? Obviously faces. Faces, places. Yeah. A little... Uh, I don't know where we're going with this. I think we should get out. One of the scene that I find found really fun and also like triggered a very specific part of my brain is the scene where like 
the do you need this scene where like you know she's at that camp and that you know that nice guy who like kind of stays there and helps people and trades with people uh is uh is like trying to help like figure out go through the backpack and figure out what she actually needs to bring and like going through that uh, and i think maybe it's like just conditioned from so many years of playing video games that like I like there's like a little tickle in my brain that goes off when I recognize I'm watching like inventory management like a Resident Evil game or something <laughs> and it's it's a thrill I legitimately get in real life and this is like probably one of my most like dad nerdy things but like you know when we go on vacations with two kids like you have to figure out what you can fit in that car between you know four people sometimes their dogs come sometimes they don't and like I really do get a weird thrill from like, okay, I'm going to figure all this out. Like what we need to bring, how it's going to all fit in the car. And I do get like a big proud moment when it's like, yeah, I can't see out of any windows, but it's all there. Um, and so, yeah, I really, that scene is very fun. It's a, like a fun, like uh conversation between like the two but like i also like i just enjoyed it as a like hell yeah you figure out what can fit in there yeah oh a hundred percent a hundred percent um i get that as well like whether it's a camping trip or i'm just like getting us all together um i'm hyper organized about that stuff and it's also very relatable when she bought all this stuff that eventually is just crap oh yeah and it she needs to be stripped down for it because that's something that uh my wife does sometimes she's like uh are we really gonna drink this much beer or are we really going to camp outside the car in the tent or are we just gonna sleep in the car on the on the mattress pad like um like little things like that where she's like asking the hard questions and it's just it's, yeah. an, it's an activity that i i really cherish so getting to see someone go through it is also just really great also the 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 joy she gets from some of those later packages and she opens them up and, and yeah. she's like not worried about like the extra weight because she knows like she can cut some stuff she can donate some stuff like yeah. that's that's also very enlightening like warming yeah i want to un- i want to underline it's not like i that means that we brought all the right stuff. It's just all the stuff that we've demarcated to go, which is always well overpacked, ends up going. Like, you know, it's like that meme that is feels very true to life. That's like, okay, well, I'm going normally uh, when I'm at my home, I wear uh, one, uh, one pair of underwear per day. And on this trip, I'm going to assume I'm going to shit my pants no less than four times per day <laughs> and, and pack under that uh, assumption. I have I have gotten to an Airbnb or uh, whatever or been to a small town and been like, I don't know how to do laundry here. Yeah. I guess we're it's, doing it's, it inside out. Uh, my my kind of final note and then uh, any other final moments that you guys have, we should, we should go through before we go to final thoughts. But um, – I really think it's funny that, like, so Gabby Hoffman's in this movie as her uh, friend as she's going through this stuff uh, in, like, the the sex addiction, the heroin addiction, and, you know, after her mom dies. And uh, there's a scene where she's pregnant and Gabby Hoffman is encouraging her to have an abortion. And I do think it's mildly amusing that this came out in 2014 and then Obvious Child comes out in 2013 where she essentially does the same thing. 
where Jenny Slate gets pregnant. She's like, you should have an abortion. And I and I I wish that was a streak that kept going because I do I think it's mildly funny that like um that that was just like, oh, you need someone to tell their friend to have an abortion, get Gabby Hoffman in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I can guarantee there's also that plot line in Transparent at some point. Um I watched a lot of Transparent and I, I don't remember very much of it, but I can guarantee at some point she encourages someone to get an abortion. Hopefully. Yeah. Keep the streak alive. If only for the streak. How do you, how do you get typecast um, yeah, as I, an abortion suggester? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. An abortion encourager. She's not just throwing it out there. She's like, you should get an abortion. You are, an abortion you should not have this baby. Yeah. And what's funny is that she retired from movies for a while and came back and she's like, that was fun. Can I get one more movie where I tell someone, go get an abortion? You're not ready for this. Like, Great news. Reese Witherspoon has started a production company. Um, <laughs> Do you think she's in uh, the morning show at some point? She's like, listen, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jennifer Addison's not a great person in that. Yeah, she she could walk through that whole channel and just be like, everyone, if you're planning to breed, don't do it. <laughs> I think the overall positive development for society. Uh, Sean, what other moments uh, that we haven't talked about that you uh, that you want to discuss? Uh, specific moments, I just something that kind of really gathers the uh, the the tone of the film, or even the interpretation of of the the book to the film is there's this, this small snippet kind of near the end where it's, it's kind of montaging through a bunch of different sequences and sh- it shows Cheryl waking up uh, covered in frogs. Like, I don't know if that's, oh, it's yeah. literally like a, maybe like three to five second scene. Uh, yeah. Just in the, in the book, that's like a horrifying moment. Like she wakes up and she freaks out and like jumps <laughs> up and like, kind of runs around and you know kills a bunch of them by accidentally stepping on them but in the film it's very much kind of played as she's being you know embraced by nature and just that just stuff like that those little kind of shifts when adapting it just it, it just gets the the tone it gets the mood of the of the film just so spot on. Yeah, I think I, I that scene is beautiful and I I agree like it um it, it would have I guess I obviously I didn't know that's what happened in the book but I do feel like it would have been a little out, out of character for that point like she started stepping on him. It's like wait a sec. Uh yeah, the embrace of nature idea is is way way better thematically, I agree. One thing that we haven't really touched on too much is just the the way that music is used throughout the film like it's just oh yeah the way that it kind of switches back and forth between like diegetic and non-diegetic or if it's just like stuff that triggers a memory or it goes from her humming or singing to to it playing on a radio and a memory i just all that stuff is so so great especially when it comes to i guess what's generally thought of as the theme song for the movie, which is El Condor Pasa by Simon and Garfunkel, which is just used so well within the film. And triumphant over the credits, too. Yeah, because it's so... They play like a ghostly bit of the guitar jangle from the beginning of it throughout the movie, but they don't 
ever really let it come through clear. They're doing some sort of distortion or fading on it, some sort of audio uh, production on it um, at different points. And you're just getting like little pieces of it. And then at the end, when it finally comes through, like crisp and clean, um, it is like, yeah, like Aaron said, so such a good feeling. It's also like one of my favorite songs. So um, it's sort of like Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> edging a little bit. Um, so I was a big, I was a big fan of, of, of that. Um, and there's also like certain songs that come back, um, that are clearly like 90s songs. Um, and, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to have like those kind of splashes of the era without, uh, yeah, just constant needle drops. And also like, I love, one of the only things I actually like about Into the Wild, um, is the score. But sometimes the score can be really overpowering, and yeah. can, all I'm hearing now is the score. Um, it's a very pretty score, but like that's all that's all I'm getting. Um, I'm not 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 getting much else from the main character. Um, and in this, I feel like they don't use Simon and Garfunkel, a very beloved Simon and Garfunkel song, um, too heavily, and they also don't use '90s pop hits too heavily. Yeah, they just throw in like lead singers of Everclear. <laughs> yeah. Let you know it was the '90s. Just one other thing that just kind of a subtle thing throughout the film uh, with the beauty of the cinematography is that the whole film is filmed handheld until that final scene. So kind of like what you kind of like what you get with oh. the Simon and Garfunkel song. The the only time in the film where it's a steady cam is that final bridge scene. So it's kind of with the the language of film really kind of representing where Cheryl is after her journey. And it's just, you know, just subtle stuff like that. It's just sprinkled throughout, which is just another one of those things that it really separates it from, yeah, it could have been a very flat, very melodramatic movie that it just kind of seems like on paper. But just kind of when you watch it, when you experience it, there's just a mood and a tone that just works so well. And that's just one of the many things. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, but you're 100% right. Um, but that and that whole scene, like, first of all, I'm just in generally, I'm generally like the, the name Bridge of the Gods for a bridge. Maybe I read too much Lovecraft or whatever, but it sounds very ominous, even though I recognize that in this case, it's much more positive than that. Um, but yeah, that is a, you're 100% right. And that is such a cool, uh, um, a cool touch. And I will say that, like, I like this movie enough that I ended up just buying it because I do plan to watch it again. So it's definitely something I will uh, keep a closer eye on, uh, on a, on a second viewing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I can do final thoughts first. So yeah, I, Sean, first of all, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for bringing this movie to us. It is definitely, you know, one of the exciting things sometimes about having, uh, guests pick the movie is that like, you know, we get to cover movies that we, we probably wouldn't. I can I can say with a with a with a lot a degree of confidence that this is probably not a movie that without your intervention that uh, we would have ever covered on on this show. And um, mainly because I mean both of us had not seen it, which is the you know a, the first thing. But uh, but also you know it's just you know we there's there's we have such a big spreadsheet of movies we want to do and uh, and uh, so the fact that you came on and introduced this to us has just been great um, because yeah this is a movie that I 
you know, I'm sorry I missed in 2014 now because uh, it really it you know it, it not to keep comparing it to it uh, it's it's similarly named Into the Wild, but like this is exactly what I'm looking for in that kind of thing and um, in that idea of I need a little I need an escape I need a place to find myself and it's it's told beautifully it's gorgeous to look at it's so well acted and um, and it you know the Watching Grizzly Man or Jeremiah Johnson or <laughs> Mosquito Coast, especially, which we'll talk more about next week. Um, those movies, while they show a lot of beautiful stuff, for a variety of reasons, did not make me really want to get out there in wilderness. And I will say for most of this movie, minus the beginning desert part that we all agree isn't all that great. Um, I was like, man, I want to go. <laughs> like, I need to plan that vacation to Glacier Park in Montana. I need to do X and Y because the whole time I was thinking about, like, how nice it would be to be out in, like, that kind of wilderness going for for a hike. Um, especially, like, you know, I I don't I, – I obviously haven't gone through the same traumas of that, that Cheryl has. But, you know, I do think – one thing we talked about at the beginning of this month is that, like – you know, as a as a as a country and as a continent and as a world, like we have spent the last seventeen, eighteen months um, going through kind of a collective trauma, and for some people, a more personal trauma. But it's it's just, and then it keep we keep getting re-traumatized as 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 we record this in August, and there's more lockdowns coming, and like you know, now is the time. Like it's definitely a time where it's easy for me to identify with someone who's like, I just really need a break. And this is the only movie that we that we are ultimately doing that month where that where that where that break from uh, society and finding yourself and all that stuff is not like horribly problematic or violent in it in and of itself. And so it was really great that this was here to kind of anchor. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you liked it. I'm really glad you liked it and glad that I was able to come on and, and talk about it a little. This was a blast. Thank you very much, Sean. Um, let me just throw in some final thoughts really quickly. Uh, one of the things that I love about uh, the beginning of this movie um, going towards the middle is that like the f- is, is is that like um, I feel like everything in life gets a lot cleaner and simpler when you remember that starting anything really hard is always the hardest part. Like starting any any broader journey, the, just getting going and keeping your momentum during the early stages is really hard because she on day one she goes, "What the fuck have I done?" <laughs> like she's just like she's like, "I'm hot." I. 2000 whatever whatever she ends up actually doing i I think they they say a thousand miles but i think the whole pct is like 2500 miles but she's just like she's like like i've done five miles today like i can't do 2500 (laughs) i can't do thousands of miles like and so she's kind of in this this thing where she's just like she's very negative and she's very much like looking for excuses to give up in the beginning portion of it which you know matches you know, narrative structure, obviously, but I feel like that's true of exercise. That's true of a lot of hiking. Like hiking is not immediate. I'm not immediately like I get out of the car and I'm like, ah. I'm like, all right, let's get the annoying part over with. Let's get, let's get like some momentum going and all that. Um, and, and that's true of self-discovery too, where it's like sometimes just picking up the call, the phone and talking to a therapist or asking for help is like, really painful but as time goes on like you start to build up calluses you start to build up uh you know stronger feet uh, you you start to 
whatever metaphor you want to use to adapt this to hiking, like your your personal growth starts to get uh, a, a little bit more accessible. I won't necessarily say e- it gets easier over time. I think it, I think it personally does, but um, y- you uh, your your life gets. Um, uh, yeah, I think the word accessible is probably useful. Like this uh, growth gets more accessible the longer you're sort of throwing yourself in that momentum and, and you're not giving up on yourself. I feel like this is a really useful movie that like a lot of us, I think um, right now, especially are trying to um, navigate the next stage of whatever COVID means. And we're trying to, uh, get together with people when we can in a safe way. And we're trying to figure out our careers and what we want out of life, given the fact that like there was mass death and like, there's a, it's, I think a lot of us, uh, now, and a lot of people I've talked to, including myself have like gone back to therapy and like, are trying to figure out like, well, now I have to, I'm alive. I have to figure out how to stay alive to keep uh, drowning in in dread all the time. And I feel like this was a really well-timed movie for me because it wasn't just about going out in nature and conquering it and killing it um, the way certain movies this month are. It's about going out and and facing yourself, which is uh, really scary. So, yeah, thanks for bringing this on, Sean. It's so weird talking about a uh, (laughs) what is essentially a nonfiction story in kind of the guise of of fiction and and metaphor but it's just a really nice tale of showing emotional struggle paralleled with physical struggle and that's just her going through that journey and you kind of going along with her until you get that the, those stages of uh, catharsis at the end it just it just uh, it just speaks a lot to to kind of the emotional mindset of whether you've gone through similar things or or whatever your your emotional struggles or physical struggles are. Uh, you can kind of you can kind of look at this film and you know take something away from it that that you might gain from it. Yeah, could not agree more. Well, uh, well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on uh, coming on the show. This was a blast. Uh, I hope you had fun. Yeah, well. I did. It was a little weird having you guys not talking at like 1.4 times speed, but you know, I got, I got used to it after the first little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! All of our precious tones are getting sped up for content. Uh, no, I'm kidding. What do you have to promote knowing that this is, of course, the third week of September in the year of our Lord. Uh, I have nothing relevant to promote. I guess the only thing is, if anyone is interested, they can uh, they can find me on Letterboxd, just under my name, Sean Fowle. Uh, yeah, apart from that, no, nothing to promote. Awesome. Uh, yeah, would love to hear more of your thoughts on movies and stuff like that. And hopefully we can have you back wonderful. on the show again as well. Uh, next week, Peter, we're wrapping up. Got to get away from it all month with, as we talked about, uh, somehow the darkest movie that we're doing, I think tonally, noting that that includes a movie about the real life death of two people. Uh, but it is about – it's the Mosquito Coast, the 1986 Peter Weir movie starring Harrison Ford with guest Rick Kelly, a movie about someone who hates America so much that he uh, brings it with him to destroy other cultures as well. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, very, very different movies, but I'm glad we're getting kind of a, a, a more balanced view of what uh, stepping out into nature is. So, yeah, very excited. Uh, thanks again, Sean. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you Good night. Takes your hand and she leads you to the river. She is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counter. And the sun pours down like honey on our Lady of the Harbor. And she shows. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)